When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on tipping the dog park staff, addressing noisy neighbors, a follow-up question to our plant-based dinner discussion, and addressing a sudden change in someone's appearance. For awesome etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about making etiquette around attire more gender-inclusive. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a timely postscript on retirement parties. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And it's good to talk to you this fine <laughs> afternoon. I know. As we, we're, we're in the process. I know folks will be listening to this much after while, while you're on or possibly even back from paternity leave at this point. I um, love that spirit. <laughs> but it's, uh, it is, it's, it's been fun hopping on the mic kind of every other day <laughs> lately. Um, but in between uh, pre-recording a whole bunch of podcasts, we've also been dipping into uh, the design editing of the 20th edition. And that's a really exciting process. And I, I even feel like because it's a process that um, you haven't seen up close and personal in a while. I feel, you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's, I, I think it, in a while is very generous. I don't think oh, okay. I've ever been <laughs> this involved in the book design part it's, of the, the project it's been fun for me like watching you go through it because you i mean you definitely helped with higher etiquette like i ran everything by you and but you you largely left that to be in like my zone of do you like it do you not and this one we're both bringing our opinions to the table and it's been so it's scary been, <laughs> a scary that's true but it's also really fun it's fun sometimes to see like an arc that you will go on because you'll start at a and then you'll rise up and curve to like something that feels really different from A, and then you'll come kind of like back down and around to A again. Maybe it's a circle more than an arc, but it's um it's also really fun to see the book starting to physically take shape and to be a visual thing. You get so used to it in the Word doc format or the Google doc format that you're working in. It can be really jarring to like see it laid out or to see it, it as a sample of a layout. And it's it's been fun seeing that get tweaked closer and closer to our, our vision. <laughs> well, I, I mean, and once again, I think you're so generous with the our vision because I think you have a much better <laughs> sense of it in terms of where we're going than I do. And when when you first brought this topic up, I was I, I almost wanted to stop you and say, Lizzie Post, help out everyone out there who's not in my 
fortunate position of having been doing this with you for the last couple months now. Mm-hmm. And and what are the major components of the book design uh, process? What are the elements? Because I mean, even familiarizing myself with what choices we'd be making we have to make, was an yeah. important step. <laughs> so our book in its contract, we determined would be, I think it's called a two color. And so you get like black and white or the, the kind of... Um, registered color of the type and and um, maybe some grays in between. I can't remember. And then usually one other color. And for us, that's, of course, our signature blue. And we're really, really excited for that. It's been a while since the book has picked up this color. But that was one of kind of the certain things we walked in with that we were really able to say, this, this is what we're looking for. And beyond that, the types of things that you're picking out in design are things like not just the font of the body text, but the font of all the different headers and chapter headers and openers and even little things like the fonts that are going to be for a really specific subsection or our book, for instance, has a number of resource guides at the end of it, reference guides at the end of each chapter. And and those kind of can have a different look to them. And the I think we already said page numbers, but there's lots of different places where the font could be the same, could be a larger size, could be in bold, could be italicized. There's lots of different ways to play with font, even just totally different fonts. So you're you're looking at how the fonts all play together in the various ways that words are used throughout the book. And then there's things like, and this is where I think it always starts to get really fun, are, for instance, each chapter, your chapter opener, the page spread. Is it going to be a full a full two-page spread with just color or design on one page, sort of like a blank page? And then uh, the, the chapter opener on the right, are you going to put the chapter opener on the left? Are you going to have maybe just the title of the chapter and the number of the chapter on the left and the opener on the right. And for us, we decided in this book that we were going to put a quote from the 1922 edition at the start of every single chapter. And it relates uh, to that chapter, obviously. And it, it, what do we want that quote? How do we want it to be positioned? Is it centered? Is it italicized? Is it a different font from the other fonts in the book? Because it's kind of like a, a, a little special section. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a different voice. Uh, so those are some of the things. And within that, you're looking at, okay, so are we just doing a color on the background of the chapter opener? Is it going to be a pattern? What about illustrations? Uh, Dan and I just sent in the illustration list, which was the two of us going through and saying, boy, we need an illustration of how to hold these utensils and where these glasses go and what forks are what forks and what spoons are what spoons. (laughs) So there's a whole lot of decisions to be made, even things like whether or not um, certain elements are going to be bound by a box that sort of breaks up the running text of the book or whether you leave that that section boundless, I guess, without a box around it. Um, so all kinds of all kinds of design decisions to react to because you you demure a lot. But I've got to say, it's been really fun to see and hear your reactions to the things as they come in and to see how drastically things could change from the first samples that we get to the the very last, you know, and, and the little decisions that get made along the way. It's been really fun doing this one with you. It's, well, it's been exciting for me because it's this book is something I've been very familiar with as a piece of content, as a set of ideas yes. in my mind. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I tease and say I think you have the, the real idea of where we're going, but I, I very much do in my own mind, because we've talked so much about the 22 edition being our model, I sort of think about a book that looks like that 1922 book. And what's been really fun for me is watching all of those little decisions that you're talking about now happen and come together to actually create a final product that looks like that book that I'm imagining. Mm-hmm. And it's been a lot of fun to see that final product emerge as something that I like the look of and to reflect back on the process and really realize and recognize all of the various components that come together to create that impression of the the book, not just of the ideas that it contains. And I want to thank you for <laughs> encouraging me along the way, because for me, a lot of it's been a process of learning to to trust myself and to trust that those thoughts that I hear in my own mind when I see something and I'm responding to it are worth sharing, aren't going to derail the project, might actually contribute something to it, aren't going to um, necessarily be a problem for someone else, even if they don't like what I'm saying or agree with it, yeah. that it, that it works and it functions to to move a discussion along and to consider different points of view. And it's a different kind of process than I'm used to to doing. So <laughs> I also want to thank you for for taking the time with me. Oh, well, it's very easy to do. It's my pleasure, I'll say. <laughs> um, but it's it's been really fun to get to do this one with you. And I I also appreciate that for, for the most part, we're, we're pretty well lined up on our visions for the book, which makes it a lot easier. But always, um, always. It, is, it is a really fun part, part of the process and it, it will continue. And we will be so excited to share the final version with you all when it is launched in September. <laughs> in the meantime, cousin, do you think that we should get to some of our wonderful listener questions? I think we should. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we're at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about a pooch park pawment. <laughs> Hi, Instead Lizzie and payment. Dan. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's really cute, Bridget. <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. In our city, we have two dog parks that are actually businesses, each complete with an enclosed yard, patio tables, and outdoor bar. People can sign up for monthly memberships that cost around $25 or choose to pay per visit. You pay per dog, not per person, if that's important for the answer. They employ bartenders, front desk staff, and bark rangers. I know, so cute. <laughs> Even though pet owners must stay in the dog park, the bark rangers are there to make sure it's a safe environment, enforcing the rules, breaking up any dog arguments, and picking up dog messes that owners may have missed. At the, do <clears throat> At the door to the park, they have a bark ranger's tip jar. Here's the question. Should we tip each visit? Maybe only on the visits that the bark rangers have specifically helped us out? Does the answer change if we're making a morning of it or just stopping by quickly during a lunch break? If we go multiple times a week, tipping a dollar or two each visit adds up quickly. We very much appreciate the bark rangers, but don't know the proper etiquette for tipping them. Sincerely, Dog Mamas. Dog Mamas, before we actually answer your question, I have to gush over how cool this sounds. I knew you would this, love this one, Lizzie Post. Oh my posed. gosh, I live right near a dog park. It is not this atmosphere at all. I, first of all, love the idea of the bark rangers. I, I, for so many reasons, you, you often hear us talk about things like if someone was being loud in a theater that you should go to the usher or that you should seek out management if there's a problem or someone who has the authority, the standing is connected to the place. And dog parks are often places where there, there isn't anybody monitoring anything. And I, I love the idea of a bark ranger being the one who is more skilled at separating dogs who, who might be, you know, having, having a little bit of a fiery encounter. Um, but being, being able to kind of be on it and that they're not there to necessarily range the people like to come up and tell you, you missed your dog poop over there, but, but to just be there to facilitate that place. I think that's, that's really, really cool. And this is totally new, right? Like this is something I haven't heard of. This isn't in the 19th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. It's not an article on our website yet, but this is what I think of when I think of new etiquette and where we would try to look at traditions and some other types of tipping experiences to think about how we might behave in this new tipping environment for us. Lizzie Post, I did the exact same equation in my <laughs> mind. I said, boy, I haven't heard this one before. That means it's new etiquette, new manners. And the expectations aren't going to be so 
established. They're not mm-hmm. going to be a, a social expectation where everyone around you is looking for you to perform in a certain way. Mm-hmm. At the same time, something has been suggested. The very presence of that tip jar indicates that someone is thinking about this as potentially the type of service that you might want to tip for. And in a lot of ways, I think that puts a lot of the onus back on you, the patron, the person receiving the service to figure out what's going to make you feel really good about tipping in this particular situation. I couldn't agree more. And if I'm if I'm thinking about this particular situation, for me, what comes to mind, and it might just be because we are recording, um, you know, Febu- early February in Vermont, like snowstorm on its way. I'm thinking golf, folks. I'm thinking about the uh, – they're often called backroom boys, but it's not just boys who, who do the job. And it's – they're wonderful gentlemen who clean your clubs, get your bag out and ready for you, things like that. And some members tip them every single time. Some members really lean on them and even tip them more every single time. Some members only lean on them occasionally and just tip them on those occasions. And other members come in at the end of the year, the end of the season, and give a large tip that gets distributed to all of those who work in the back room. Or bag room is another way to think of it other than back room. It is one of those things where it depends a little bit on how much you use, you use their services, how much you lean on them and, and also a little bit what your personal tipping style is. Some people really appreciate that big sort of end of the year recognition of a whole season or a whole a uh, period of time, you know, year, <laughs> period of time's worth of of service, and other people feel much more comfortable making sure that every time they visit, they're they're giving a little tip. Um, but for just the reason you stated, the boy that could get expensive quick. Uh, you know, sometimes you get the adjustment of okay, just when they I engage the service of the bark rangers. So lots of different options here, but it's it again. I'm trying to use a different situation I'm familiar with that has kind of a similar, they're there every time they're doing stuff every time, but maybe not always interacting with you, you and your dog every time. The only thing that I can think to add here was post is what a great conversation to strike up with your fellow patrons of this yes! business. <laughs> totally. I walk past that tip jar and I always wonder what other people do. Would you mind sharing? Or, or maybe you <laughs> offer up your approach, but, um, if it would make you feel more comfortable in the spirit of tipping should make everyone feel good. If having a sense for how other people do it is one of those things that makes you feel better about it. And that's a feeling I get from many people that listen to this show because people listen to this show to figure out what other people think about these things. That's another thing that you can do to kind of get a sense for how the community is responding. Dan, that's a really, really great point and a good place for a lot of people to turn to. Dog Mamas, thank you so much for writing in with this question. It is so cool to be talking about a new area of potential tipping. And we would love to hear, if you do hear from some of those other members, as Dan suggested, what the what the word on the street is about the tipping situation. We would really welcome your feedback. Thanks so much for the question. Well, here's something. Jean, will you play with me? I want to have something to do, too. Come on, Jean, and play. Now, Penny, stop that, says Jean. Can't you see that I'm very busy? I have no time to play now. Our next question is titled, Noise from the Neighbors. Talk about Netica Classic. 
Dear Lizzie and Dan, I hope both of you are doing well. I found your podcast about a year ago when I started my new job that allows me to work from home. I often listen during my lunchtime walks outside, and it's a great way to take a break from work. I'm having trouble with a noisy neighbor, and I'd like to get your advice on how to address the situation with consideration, respect, and honesty. I've lived in my apartment for over a year, and I've found that the neighbors who share a wall with me are always quite loud. They make noise at all hours of the day. They play their TV at what seems to be an unreasonably high volume and are constantly yelling. I graduated from college about 18 months ago, so apartment living isn't new to me. I lived in apartments throughout college, but these are by far the most noisy neighbors I've ever dealt with. I'm typically a very non-confrontational person, and I believe that's why I've put up with this for so long. But it's recently become too much to brush under the rug. Do you have any advice on how to address the issue? As weird as it sounds, I've never actually met these people. I moved in during the pandemic, so the typical neighborly introduction didn't seem quite right at the time. Because of that, I don't want my first interaction with them to consist of me telling them to quiet down. I've drafted I don't know how many letters to send them, but all of them make me sound like a grouchy old man. Is there a better way I could handle this? I would love some advice on how you might handle the situation. Thank you in advance for your advice. Take care. A neighbor who just needs some sleep. Ah, neighbor who just needs some sleep. As Lizzie said at the start of the question, this is indeed a classic. I think that we have considered on this show the question of noisy neighbors from just about every direction possible. And I, I mean that quite um, literally. We've <laughs> talked about it in the ceiling and the floor, in the walls, in across the streets, With in sight lines, and by <laughs> volume. And I personally find these to be really tricky and difficult questions because yeah. relationships with neighbors are so important. The communities that we live in are made up of our neighbors. And that reality lives on alongside the reality that's represented by the cliches, good fences make good neighbors, <laughs> that oftentimes we don't choose our neighbors. They're not our friends. They're not our family in the same ways our friends and family are. And sometimes having a little distance, a little social distance is an important part of living well with neighbors. I don't find it strange that you haven't met the people that live right next door. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I also would give the etiquette advice that for me, my, my first thought here is I would try to get to know my neighbors mm -hmm. and that might open up all kinds of possibilities for dialogue, for communication, or just for understanding. They might know a little bit more about you and be better able to judge and assess how what they're doing would impact you. You might have a better sense of what they're up to, where they're coming from, whether They've got more people in the apartment than they did at the start of the pandemic. You mentioned that recently things have sort of come to a head Escalated, and whether that's a, yeah. a change in the circumstances or whether that's you've reached a certain threshold where it's harder and harder for you to ignore identifying what those moments are in your life and being able to understand them. The potential for that to happen just comes into existence as you get to know each other a little bit. So I, I would consider a bit of a charm campaign and I wouldn't think of it as deceptive. I wouldn't think of it as, oh, I need to get these outcomes, but I'm going to start here because I need to warm them up before I make the ask. I think there's some reality to that kind of practical thinking, but I think there's also 
something sincere and honest about, I want to get to know these people. I do want to be able to talk to them about these kinds of things. And a good first step is to really start to build some accord. So from an etiquette perspective, what are those approaches? How do you get to know your neighbors? Greetings, first introductions can happen anywhere. I think like, anywhere <laughs> or you can kind of manufacture them and make them happen just a little bit. But, you know, go over and knock on the door. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I realized I've lived here a year and, and never introduced myself, figured it was time. And that's all it has to be, you know. As always, our master of sample scripts. <laughs> no, take advantage of the fact that you haven't met yet yeah. and make that the excuse to, to make that connection. My only other thought about the discussion that might follow at some point, that raising an issue, it can often feel like a really big deal. If you bring it up in the context of, I hope you would feel comfortable talking to me about a similar issue, or Mm -hmm. in the context of a discussion where you're inviting a little back and forth with your neighbors about sharing the space, sharing the building, sharing a wall, those might be ways to soften the blow. Um, Lizzie Post, I know you have some other ideas about (laughs) ways to make this conversation happen. I want to turn it over to you before I also have a couple ideas of things you might specifically do yourself. Well, first of all, I think right off the bat, making a connection with the neighbor is, is a way to help eliminate that part of the problem for sure. And I can understand how a lot of people wouldn't feel comfortable having that first interaction come with a hello, this is, you know, I'm your neighbor and I have a problem with you. Like it, it makes sense. The jokey side of me thinks it would be really funny if, like, the next time you pass in the hall, you should be like, dude, you were so right about that laundry fight that you guys were having last week. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it's the way to go, but the humorist in me is just like, oh, you could get so cheeky because you probably know a lot about these two people that they don't realize that you know. And I I don't actually think that that's the way that you should go with it. But I had a friend who lived in an apartment complex in L.A., And she texted me a note that her neighbor had left. And oftentimes we say, you know, just dealing with people face to face is the way to go. They can hear the tone in your voice. You can communicate so much. But I got to give this neighbor A plus marks for a very humorous and sweet note. And I, I remember asking my friend how she felt when she received this, because it was a it was a fairly intimate personal correction that this neighbor was hoping to make in in my friend's life. And she really did a good job of of joking around. They did not know each other at all. It's written to my neighbors and signed from your neighbor. And they they share a wall, so it was clear who it was. But it was really cool because my friend felt like she both she both got very sympathetic for the other person as opposed to getting defensive. Like, oh, who are you to dictate things in my life? Instead, it was, oh, my gosh, we're impacting someone else. I know I don't like it when I'm impacted by someone else. We should be careful about that. Like we should we should find a way to, you know, move the room around or something like that. And I do think that leaving a note can be a good way to go. I know you said you've written a bunch of them that you you haven't felt right sending. So it might be that adding a little bit of humor to it could help. Um, it might be also just that keeping it, I, I want to say just like nice and realistic. One of the things I think 
is just true about apartment living is that you are going to hear certain things. I mean, I mean, some buildings are built amazingly and you don't hear anything between the walls, but a lot of apartment buildings, you're going to hear people and whether it's the person upstairs or you're the person upstairs to someone downstairs or it's the walls, the left and right of you. Oftentimes there is a moment where you got to tell someone to quiet down. And sometimes that's a broomstick to the wall. Sometimes it's going over and saying, Hey guys, could you keep it down? Or would you be willing to turn something down? And I think, okay, maybe not the broomstick to the wall, but I think a lot of these, and maybe even the broomstick to the wall, I could talk myself back into it. They can be really subtle, easy ways that apartment dwellers are very comfortable with experiencing. And I know in this situation, we don't know anything about these neighbors next door. So we don't, we don't know how they handle it. So it is, it could be a little bit of a risk as opposed to that in-person, more direct approach. But I tried my hand at a sample script of a note. You might need to adjust it, but. I kind of went off the one that my friend from LA had sent me, but, but put it more into your noise situation. And I came up with, hi neighbors. I know we haven't met yet, but I've realized that I'm fairly privy to your life. Since moving in, I've noticed the walls are thin enough for me to hear a lot of what's going on in your apartment. And I was hoping you might be willing to keep this in mind when you watch TV or listen to music. Love the Bob Seeger, by the way. Or maybe you say like, I'm watching the crown too. <laughs> While I certainly don't want to encroach on your home life at all, I'm hoping you might be willing to help keep it from spilling over into my apartment. I'm really looking forward to meeting you in the future. Your neighbor, you know, to the right, to the left, you know, 103, whatever, whatever helps identify you. Um, it, not perfect. Not my best sample script ever. Even reading it now, I might might make some adjustments like that line. I've realized I'm fairly privy to your life. I don't, I don't know if I like that one so much rereading it, but I do like the idea of letting them know that, that they, their life is being exposed to you in a way that they might not be aware of and that you would, you would love to help correct that or fix that. I'm also wondering cause about a couple things you might be able to do to help soundproof your own house a little bit, your own apartment, you know, rather than maybe like a tapestry up on a wall, could you put a quilt or a rug or something like that? I've seen that used as a, as a way to help sound in a thin wall. Um, but I do think at some point, either the conversation or if you find the right language for a note that it's just not unreasonable at all in apartment living to tell someone that you're, you're hearing them more than you'd like to. Before you go the white noise machine or the no, totally I forgot about really that as well an fitted <laughs> earplugs that just do a phenomenal job or even <laughs> one of my personal favorites these days I, I can't believe how remarkable the technology has gotten the noise canceling headphones mm -hmm. if you've really got a situation where you've got to get some sleep or you need to be able to focus on something there are definitely some options that really put control of that sound environment in your hands Lizzie, I really want to jump back into your script also because you, you, you did one of the things that I was also going to suggest, whether you're having the conversation in person, whether you're doing it with a note, whether it's a planned conversation or whether it's that um, that in the moment ask. I love that idea. That catch him in the hallway. Approach it, approach it as, or, or, or even when the thing's happening mm -hmm. so that it really becomes specific to that instance and that that kind of – Interactions really very natural and happens often in apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. um, was making your ask specific of someone else so that yes. it's not that you're just asking someone to listen to you complain about how noisy they are, 
but that you've actually got an ask there. Maybe it's specifically the TV. Maybe it's after a certain time at night or yeah. before a certain time in the morning or it's the drum set or that or if it's something that you can identify about your life. I was thinking about those in the moment asks and sample scripts like I've got a big meeting in the morning I'm trying to mm -hmm. sleep for or something like that. If you could give someone a sense that no, I work at these times, so my sleep schedule is this. And you might not know that. Those are things that other people can start to understand, build Be around, and respond to mm -hmm. in ways that aren't totally disruptive of their lives. And they also have a specific thing to, to do or to, to take action on as opposed to just trying to generally be less noisy in their apartment. A neighbor who just needs some sleep, you are dealing with a, a classic and a difficult yet very common problem. And we are hoping that the, the mix of those three gives you some confidence that this is really something that is okay to address and that our answer provides you multiple ways of potentially doing that. Getting ready for bed at a regular time is one of the most important habits you can learn. A quiet hour or two before bedtime is part of this habit. It makes you feel relaxed and sleepy, ready for bed. Our next question is titled, More About Meat. Hey Daniel and Lizzie, I recently found your podcast and have loved listening to your episodes. I appreciate the thoughtful response you all provide. Your most recent episode, where someone asked about serving a plant-based dinner, made me think of my question. I was a vegetarian for 10 years, but I'm not anymore. I, unfortunately, am a bit of a picky eater when it comes to meat. If I am not technically a vegetarian, is it okay to request a vegetarian meal on a wedding response card? Some response cards allow for the selection of your entree, but if it does not, is it rude to write a note? I know people do if they have a dietary restriction, but if this is just a preference, then I wasn't sure. Thank you, picky meat eater. Picky meat eater, thank you so much for this question. I I mean, I go the route of saying that anyone should be able to order the vegetarian entree, that if it's if it's what they want, if it's what they would like, if they eat a diet that sometimes they eat meat, sometimes they don't. And sometimes it really matters what kind of meat is in there. And if you can't control that, then you want the vegetarian diet. I think that is absolutely fine. There's no reason not to. Agreed. In fact, Lizzie Post, I used to do this all the time. The place I could think <laughs> of the, the most uh, where it jumps to mind is uh, on airplanes, where yes. oftentimes I think the vegetarian meal is clearly the best option. And I oftentimes exercise that option in that situation, even though I love meat and am a meat eater. <laughs> I did have a couple of sort of caveat thoughts in mind. What do you think? Because we do have this question of if it's not an option, do you write in the note? I think that the idea that there would be a vegetarian option is common enough at this point that it doesn't feel demanding to me to request a vegetarian meal. Mm -hmm. Although if there was no mention of it, I would maybe ask myself a little bit about the context. Am I being invited to a barbecue or something like that? Is, <laughs> is my ask really likely to require something of the host where I wouldn't want to explain to them that I'm not actually a vegetarian, but I would really prefer it if... Mm -hmm. because of the amount of extra work that it would cause them. But if you can answer that question to yourself pretty reasonably, mm -hmm. it's not a lot of extra work for the airplane to give you a vegetarian option as opposed to one of the meat options. 
I think there's, like we said at the start, no reason not to go for it. In fact, you probably should because it means you're going to enjoy your meal more. And that's probably what your host is looking for. When I think about the response cards that don't have a mention of a meal on it, for me, at least in my experience, this has meant that there will be a buffet and there's usually a wide range that accommodates for a number of different things. I remember my sister's wedding didn't need any kind of a a selection because it was a buffet and there was both a fish dish that was really phenomenal. There was a pork dish that was fantastic. And then there was also um, a number of veget- vegetable-based dishes. That So it, it wasn't going to matter. Any, any Anybody could fit into these ranges for the most part. And so it, also caterers are, are really aware of the variety of dietary restrictions and needs that most guests have and are really good at guiding people. So my guess is that if an, if a reply card doesn't ask you about what meal you would prefer, that you're probably going to be covered. It is okay for you for you to ask. It's okay to say, especially if if it's your only option or if it's something like a gluten allergy or something like that. You could follow up with either the host or a member of the couple to to just sort of have that host guest dance about dietary restrictions and make sure that you'll be covered and it is okay. But if I was going to write a note on one of them, um, like let's say maybe there were only meat options like, you know, chicken or fish or something like that or a steak or a fish, then I might say if it's possible to get a vegetarian meal, I would really love that or I would so appreciate that. If not, you know, then check the one that you want. But I think that kind of puts it in that place of I'm not demanding it. I'm asking and inquiring if this is a possibility. And if it is, I would love to engage it. Picky meat eater, you don't sound overly picky to me at all. You sound like someone who knows what they like. And I hope that you're getting lots of it in the future. Prepared meats inspected and passed by the United States Department of Agriculture are clean, safe, wholesome, and truthfully labeled. How can you be sure... Our next question is titled, Befuddled by Braces. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. My sister works for a large company and has been working from home since March of 2020. There was a potential to return to the office this January, but because of Omicron, they are staying home for a while longer. On a recent Zoom meeting, one of the VPs, a woman in her 40s, had gotten braces put on her teeth, not Invisalign braces. She made no mention of the braces. Nobody else on the Zoom call said anything either. Should my sister say something? Although I know she would never. Shouldn't her boss say something? Hoping for some advice. Thanks. Your fan, Penelope. Oh, I love your name, Penelope. Oh, Penelope. I so appreciate the question because it allows me to give some of my favorite etiquette advice, which is there are times in life when it's best to say nothing at all when it's best to respect someone else's privacy and really allow for someone else to decide whether or not that's something that they want to bring up. I can't think of a good reason why someone having braces or not having braces would impact the quality of the work they could do, whether or not they could participate on a Zoom call. And maybe my imagination is showing its limitations. Then there are probably professions where braces might interfere with the work that you do, but maybe for the most part, I I I think this is firmly in that category of someone's personal medical and just 
private decision making. And unless they've brought it up as a topic in a professional circumstance, like a meeting, I would respect their privacy and their not having done so. And I wouldn't make mention of it. I agree 100%. I think this is exactly the type of thing. It's pretty obvious that she got braces. So if she's not saying anything about it, there's no need for anyone else to be bringing it up either. As far as the supervisor versus the colleague or the coworker, I, again, don't think that there's a major distinction between those roles in this situation in terms of how I would approach that kind of a personal topic in a professional situation. I think the reason I started this question with the sort of positive thought of I really like giving this advice is that I think that it's really important for people to have a sense of privacy in their lives, to have a sense that there are things that they are allowed to keep to themselves and that fall into an area where other people will respect decisions and choices and things that that happen in that space as private matters, things that aren't discussed in public places or aren't treated as other people's business. And I think that protecting that sense of privacy, that sense of personal privacy, and one of the ways we protect it is honoring it in other people is one of the things that we can all do for each other in a world that in many ways is getting smaller and smaller and where we're all connected in more and more ways. So affording each other that space is is just a really important courtesy to keep and to, to, to keep pushing forward. Penelope, thank you so much for your question. And while we know your sister would never never bring it up, we really appreciate the chance to address this so that other people can hear the advice that it's best to let this one just be. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you're enjoying Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, plus some live calls throughout the year. And we know you'll feel great knowing that you're helping to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Ray. Hello to all at the Emily Post Institute. Thank you to everyone who helps to make this world filled with more consideration, respect, and honesty. I had to chuckle when Lizzie was talking about her efforts to show a proper expression when she's confused by a gift. Several years ago, <laughs> my husband's niece failed miserably at this. We had given her what appeared to be a box of nice sugar-free chocolates. With no metabolic issues, she had no need for sugar-free candy. As she thanked us, her confusion was written all over her face. We encouraged her to open them up immediately. What she didn't know was that I had already eaten all of the sugar-free candy and replaced it with cash. I had wadded or folded various denominations of bills into the candy spaces and then shrink-wrapped the box. Once she had the box open, her smile was genuine. <laughs> Again, thank you to all who make the Awesome Etiquette Podcast and Emily Post Institute website happen. I hope everyone has a holiday season filled with joy, love, and laughter. Warmly, Ray. 
Ray, thank you so much. That is that's such a great story and such a great awesome prank to pull on. Somebody. And what an awesome niece! She tried. She faked it for a minute. It was she was disappointed, but she she made an effort. And I'm I'm glad that we broke through with some genuine joy at some point. Ray, thank you so much for that feedback. <laughs> And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send us your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about retirement parties because we happen to be recording this on the day that Tom Brady announced his retirement and we thought that insert such audio, a Dan crying, I know, like, insert audio, Dan crying, ah, tears. We thought that such a legend, the greatest of all time. Thank you, Lizzie really- Post. <laughs> he is, he is, he is. Uh, that for his retirement, he should have some etiquette about retirement parties. We certainly hope that he is going to throw a massive one or that Giselle is going to throw a massive one for him. But of course, with COVID safety protocol in place. And so we thought it would be really great to read the retirement parties section of our 20th edition of Emily Post's etiquette. Lizzie Post, um, Dan, could I, I say something here? <laughs> yes. Oh, please do. Please do. I was going to say, this is so gleeful. Which one of us is going to talk more? <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to thank you. You, you, you. I'm sure that our audience is guessing this was my postscript topic, and it was not. You came to the table with this today, and you said, I want to read the retirement section from our, our new 20th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. And I thought to myself, that's great. That's a sort of underappreciated section. I really like it. That's a nice thing to do for people. Why, why would you want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> and you looked at me and – I was instantly – well, you didn't look at me because we were talking on the phone. But you, you gave me that look that Lizzie Post gives me where you sort of raise the eyebrow. and Which, by the way, I cannot actually do. <laughs> I love the fact that I get credited with that. <laughs> and I, I got a look through the phone and um, you know me so well. Really, That's all really? it takes. Don't know and why we might it is a painful time. and difficult time for me and it's a time of transition. So I could use a little etiquette in my life right now. Thank you. I really I, – I appreciate this. It's not just you. I cried a little bit. I was definitely like, oh, no more Brady in football. What do you mean? Oh, break my heart. So here it is, audience, our retirement party section. Dan, feel free to color commentary this, okay? We're in the world of sports. Jump in at any point. Talk about things. Imagine how Tom's version of this might go. (laughs) Interrupt. I encourage it. (laughs) It begins, retirement parties are wonderful, even if a bit bittersweet. To reach a point in life where you are walking away from the daily world of your career is a huge accomplishment that deserves honored recognition. Retirement parties can be hosted by an employer or by a spouse, loved one, close colleague, or friend of the retiree. They can be held at home or at a restaurant or event venue. It all depends on the host's and the honoree's preferences. So, Dan, I'm going to interrupt myself and say that wh- what do you think? Who who do you think most likely to throw a Tom Brady retirement party? Giselle, his parents, or the either the owner, like either owners of the teams he played for majorly? 
Or coaches. The coaches could do it and players could do it. I mean, what do you think? It's a question. It's an etiquette question. And it's already been a social media etiquette question. You're kidding me. Oh, my goodness. Here, here's how it came up. Because my answers are absolutely Giselle, probably that would be Tom Brady's wife, in mm-hmm. cooperation, coordination with his parents would be my yeah. guess. Um, mm-hmm. Incredibly close families, very close with his parents. The secondary thought was in terms of professionally – He's a unique situation where he's worked for his current team for about two years, his previous team for about 20 years. And in his retirement, he mm-hmm. referenced exclusively his current team in his retirement announcement. And a lot of people from the Patriot organization, Patriot fan base who'd spent 20 years with him felt a little slighted. And I Aww. was not one of those people. And the reason mm-hmm. I'm not is that it makes perfect sense to me that you would thank the people that you're currently working with, that there is certainly an appropriate time for honoring those longer relationships that developed over the entirety of mm-hmm. a career. Those would not be my most immediate concern. I would want to be talking firstly to the people who I was immediately working with at the time. I thought that what he did well, was – retiring from the this team. You're not retiring from the Patriots. You've already done that. Exactly. And oh, anyway, I like so, your uh, thinking. <laughs> absolutely appropriate. He'll probably come back, sign a short contract, retire as a Patriot. But there's time for that. <laughs> In the immediacy <laughs> of the moment, we're going to honor the people that we're working with currently. Anyway. Dan is expressing my own personal dream. I was like, you think he'll pull a Favre and come out of retirement? (laughs) Not to actually play, just to drop some banners. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's look at timing guests and invitations. This party is held once the honoree has retired. So it happens after the actual retirement and is often an evening event lasting two to four hours. Now, all this is not to say that if the honoree prefers something more casual, you couldn't do an afternoon backyard barbecue. That would be a wonderful celebration. Guests are associates from work, immediate family, and close friends. If it's a very large company, as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be, you might stick to one department. Eh, I don't know. If it's a small team, <laughs> I think I think they could afford the party for the whole place. If it's a small team, invite everyone, including a boss. You might have to be a sleuth, or you can ask your honoree for suggestions, especially when it comes to family and friends whom they'd like to have attend or colleagues from work that a family member who is hosting may not know. So that's one place where that honoree can really help make that guest list perfect because the hosts might not know everybody who should be invited. Invitations typically go out four to six weeks in advance. These are classic party invitations. And then there's a cross-reference to examples of said invitations. Remember to have the formality of the invitation match the formality of the event. A backyard barbecue might have a fill-in party invitation, while a formal dinner at someone's house or a restaurant might have one that is printed and mailed. I'm hoping that Tom Brady does a printed and mailed invitation for this particular party just because I think it would be so class. But I could imagine uh, just because so many people do digital invitations these days, I could see that happening, too. It's I'm guessing big guest list here. Refreshments. Most retirement parties consist of either hors d'oeuvres and a cake or a meal and a cake. Cake is just so celebratory. 
The party can be big or small, casual or formal. There are also many quote-unquote office retirement parties that are held directly at work. Please visit our website for specific information on those. Dinner is almost always served. For larger parties, a buffet. For smaller parties, either a plated meal or heavy hors d'oeuvres. If it's casual, you're more likely to have a buffet with casual fare. Serve something the honoree loves. It's their night. Toasts, speeches, and even the presentation of a gift to the honoree might be part of the evening. Gifts. You don't see many guests bringing gifts to retirement parties. A loved one or the company, a boss or the team might get the honoree something, but other guests don't. They do, however, bring cards of congratulations and sometimes flowers. Be prepared as a host to help collect these and send them home with the honoree. You might open and read the cards at a casual or intimate retirement party, but choose not to if it's a larger group. And that concludes our retirement party section. And of course, it's built in an entertaining chapter. So there is quite a lot of advice all around this that helps helps buffer it up <laughs> and so that we aren't just repeating ourselves with every single section. But I just love the idea of imagining what that retirement party might be, whether they choose to go the small, intimate route or whether it's the big celebration where you're inviting like everybody who works in the stadium, you know, I'm hoping for the latter. Well, and as soon as you started saying, and everybody loves cake, I was thinking to myself, boy, Tom Brady's diet is famously restrictive. I don't know if he does like cake. And then I thought to myself, of course, he's retired now. He might be eating more cake. (laughs) He might be eating more cake. You never know. You never know. Well, it is certainly fun to take a minute both to dive into the 20th edition and to dream about such an amazing greatest player of all time. And it's so much fun to dream about what this party might actually be like. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Chris. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute for my next-door neighbor, Dylan. This past December, I purchased and moved into a home in a neighborhood where I didn't know anyone. I met Dylan on the second or third day of moving in, and we were both in our respective backyards at the time. We had a very nice introductory conversation, and he mentioned that it being winter, the neighborhood would be pretty quiet, but come the summer months, it would be a lot more socially active. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later, on the afternoon of New Year's Eve, that we interacted again. Dylan and I again found ourselves in our backyards, and we chatted about our Christmases and our New Year's Eve plans. I'd originally had plans to visit some friends who lived a couple of hours away for the weekend. However, they had to cancel their event last minute due to a COVID exposure and potential risk to their guests, which I completely understood and appreciated. Dylan, upon hearing that I was planning to stay in and have a quiet New Year's Eve, asked if I would be interested in joining him and his wife at a neighborhood event at another neighbor's house, and that if so, he'd reach out to the hosts and ask if it was okay that I join. He let me know a short time later that I was welcome to join, and that I could meet up with him and his wife ahead of time and walk over with them so that I wouldn't have to show up alone. 
Upon arriving at the event, Dylan introduced me to the hosts and other neighbors, and once the night was over, let me know they were leaving in case I wanted to head out with them. I want to thank Dylan for not only inviting me to the event and providing me with an opportunity to meet many of my new neighbors, but also for going through all of the proper steps for inviting someone to another host's event. I also want to thank a recent light snowfall. I was shoveling my driveway, and one of the neighbors I met at the event <laughs> stopped as he was driving by and offered to bring over a snowblower. I let him know that while I greatly appreciated the offer, I did have a snowblower already and was shoveling by choice. I'm extremely grateful to have not only a kind and thoughtful next-door neighbor, but to live in a neighborhood full of generous, kind, and welcoming people. Chris. Chris, that is so wonderfully heartening. I love hearing this. This is exactly the way you would hope for neighbor relations to develop and start and go. And also, I love getting a second to just say that there is like a rule in etiquette that you don't ask to invite someone to something, you know, that just the people who the host has invited are the people who are, that it's like rude to do this. And at the same time, this is such a beautiful example of when it's not, of the host guest dance, of a way that you can ask questions of your host and engage in something that might actually be more welcoming and more inclusive and not have that be rude at all. And I just, I, I love... I love moments that are sort of the reality that's a little bit of a contrast to a classic etiquette point, you know? You got to know the rules to know how to break them. And <laughs> and, and this is so um, – it's so spot on. It, the, it, there's no promise made. It's not, oh, I'm going to this event. Will you come with me? It's, oh, no, there's this event happening. I need to check with the host. Check with the host. Get back. I mean, it, like you say, it's, it's, it's the little perfect. steps. It's perfect. It's an etiquette how-to. Chris, thank you so much for sharing this salute. You put a smile on both of our faces today. And thank you, our audience, for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with whoever you love to share podcasts with in whatever way you can share podcasts. You can send your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of our podcast by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen. It really helps our show ranking, which helps more people find Awesome Etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.